Hello, this is Dale Reber. We're here at uh, Cowork 591 with the Steve Brown Art Center podcast. Uh, thank you very much for uh, giving us a look. We appreciate everybody that watches this program and uh, hope for really good things in the future. Uh, I'm here with Blake Tempest, and uh, Jim Gillespie is off again this week. He will be back next week. Uh, we're sponsored by Reyes Concrete Service, uh, the Littleton Lounge LLC, the Littleton Chatham Historical Society, Dream Chaser Acres, uh, and Dream Chaser Acres, all of these in Littleton. And they're helping sponsor the watermelon uh, feed, free watermelon feed they're having in July, uh, July 29th, I believe. And uh, so uh, we'll be giving you more news as that comes around. We have entertainment and things going on and uh, should be uh, really nice. Uh, we want to say hi to all our listeners and new listeners. We appreciate you and uh, hope that you'll be with us uh, quite often. I'm going to start out today with some Jessup school news. Same thing we did last week. Pickleball uh, is quite popular. It's all around the country, and they're having that on Sunday evenings from 6.30 to 8 in the North Gym. And as I understand, you just have to show up, and they'll be glad to get you started with that. Uh, they have first and second grade kickball registration going on now, and also registration for uh, first and second grade coaches pitch. I mentioned that's a little baseball. And the t-ball registration. Uh, for the, the little kids will be open in a few weeks and so they might even have started that now. A lot of summertime activities are going to be taking place. Got news this week that uh, Jack Miller on the basketball team was named third team All-State by the Iowa Print Sports Writers Association and this is the third year in a row that Jessup has placed a, uh, a student on the All-State selection and the sixth time in the last 10 years. So that's some wonderful athletes. Uh, you sent me the list, Trevor Larson in 2014, and Ethan Wyatt in 2016 and 2017, and then Carson Lenow in 21 and 22, and now Jack Miller in 2023. And uh, the good news for Jessup basketball fans is that Jack has got another year of eligibility, and uh, as good as he plays, he should be even better next year. Why, it should be something really uh, interesting to see. We had uh, one obituary sent to us, not the whole obituary, just a, a notice, uh, that Christine K. Hogan, uh, 55 years old of rural independence, has died as Sunday, March the 12th, so just this last Sunday. And arrangements are pending with White Funeral Home, so there'll be more information. If you look at White's website, more information on uh, the services for that. Okay, we had a Farmer's Day meeting this week, and uh, things are starting to come into shape, though there's a long way to go. Remember, Farmer's Day is July 6th through 8th, and one thing different this year is that because of leap year, our carnival will not be able to get here in time to be open on Thursday. They will be setting up on Thursday, and they will be here with us on Friday and Saturday. And so uh, we're trying to uh, find activities for that Thursday night, and one thing we have signed up is a uh, a trailer with the axe and hatchet throwing in it. Uh, it was pretty popular when we had it here before, and so we're hoping to have that set up down by the pavilion there for a Thursday afternoon and evening for that. Uh, we have a 25-foot inflatable rocket that it looks very impressive to me, and it's on its way. It's, it's been built and put together, and it's uh, on a trailer somewhere, and they're going to ship it here. And we asked about uh, uh, if there's a patch kit with it, and they say, well, there's patches with it. You need a patch on the inside, and there's a special glue you have to use. And But instead of sending the glue, they, they show you where you can order it on uh, 
eBay or whatever. So, but I guess that's all you can do. We're still looking forward to the three by three basketball over here. We think that's going to be a wonderful thing. And we're hoping that uh, maybe some people will talk this up and try to get some teams together. You know, how we do it all depends on how many kids want to play. I guess it could be older people too if we want to have an adult league. It just depends on how many people we get that want to play and then we'll have to figure out uh, how to do it. And so this first year could be a little interesting, but uh, it's a wonderful facility over there and uh, I see kids over there all the time playing. And so I think it's one of the nicest things the city has done over there in a long time. And so uh, I hope that we will get a good uh, bunch of people and some good teams to play. And uh, again, we're, you know, we're not looking for professionals, we're just looking for kids that like to play basketball and would like to play in a tournament of some kind. And so we also found that Pat McIntosh has been uh, doing our domestic arts program for many years and she is stepping down after this year. And so uh, she's looking for someone that's interested in this that would work with her this year and then go ahead and do it uh, the following year or so. And so if you're interested in uh, the domestic arts uh, and would like to work with Pat, that would be really, really something. If you wanna, you can call Pat McIntosh if you want to at Farmer's Wife or get a hold of me or Alan Wright, somebody like that, and we would be glad to uh, take your information, but it's, uh, we have, every time we have a visitor on here, we ask about their volunteer work, and uh, there's nothing so fulfilling as doing volunteer work and helping out your community, and so we hope more of you will get involved with this, okay? Thank you. Okay, I thought I'd uh, talk a little bit today about uh, St. Patrick's Day. Uh, March 17th is St. Patrick's Day. That's the anniversary of the day St. Patrick died, and uh, it's actually a, a a festival that's celebrated almost all the way around the world, and uh, I think there it's uh, it's celebrated in more countries than any other national festival, and so uh, it's become quite a thing. And it's interesting to me is that uh, instead of people adopting something that was happening in the home country, the home country ended up adopting things that were happening in other places. Probably most of you know the story of St. Patrick. He was uh, taken as a slave to Ireland and worked. He escaped, went back to England, and his family was fairly wealthy. And he became a priest and then came back to uh, convert the people in Ireland and is credited with driving the snakes out of Ireland, even though there never were any snakes in Ireland. And uh, also in using the shamrock uh, to teach lessons about the Holy Trinity. And so those are the things we know about, uh, I guess more legends about St. Patrick. but. Uh, all of this started back in the 1500s when you probably heard of Henry VIII and he had all these wives and none of them would have a, a, a male heir and so he wanted to divorce them or kill them or lock them in prison and so he went from wife to wife trying to have a son not realizing that it's the male that determines the sex of the child and uh, the England was a Catholic country and so uh, Henry had to ask the Pope's permission for uh, divorce and not one, but several, and the, the Pope was not inclined, and so Henry decided to make his own religion. So that's how the Church of England uh, came about. And uh, they started persecuting and making it against the law to uh, be a Catholic in England. And England also controlled Ireland, so the same thing happened in Ireland. Uh, Henry started the Church of England, uh, made himself the head of the church, and uh, he enforced Ireland had the Church of Ireland, which is the same as the Church of England, and he imposed severe penalties because Ireland was almost 100% Catholic. He imposed severe penalties on the Irish Catholics 
and they were forbidden from owning land. They were forbidden any kind of higher education, and they were forbidden any entry into the professions. And so their chances of doing well was very, very small. The land was taken over by mostly absentee landowners that lived in England. And by 1778, Catholics held only about 5% of all the available land. About the only thing the native Irish could grow in the small plots of land available to them was potatoes. And potatoes are very high in nutrition, and they were eaten for lunch and breakfast and supper uh, by millions of uh, Irish Catholics. Uh, high in nutrition, eat three times a day. It's figured that the average male ate about 14 pounds of potatoes a day, and the average female ate about 11 pounds of potatoes a day. And I don't care who you are, uh, that's a lot of potatoes. But in 1845, and lasting several years was in Ireland, also in, in other countries in Europe, there was a, a blight, a disease of the potato plant. And so the potatoes all just kind of turned to mush underneath the ground. And they said there were uh, stories of people digging for hours, searching in the ground, trying to find one potato that they could eat. And so the Irish started uh, starving uh, by the hundreds of thousands. Now the the English plantation, I guess plant, uh, estates, were growing uh, abundant quantities of wheat, and they had abundant qualities, quantities of uh, dairy products. But uh, the British government insisted that all of these be exported, either to Britain or to other countries that Britain had deals with. And so even though there was all this food in Ireland, because there were no potatoes, the other food went other places, and so the, uh, the English were willing for the, for the Irish to starve to death. And uh, from 1845 to 1851, about two million Irish either died or immigrated. And they packed them in ships, they were like slave ships. Each person got 18 inches of space to lie down, uh, very little food, very little water, and some of them, when they got, it's a long voyage, four-week voyage, maybe longer than that. And a lot of them, when they got to America, they got on the dock and they were so weak that they died before they were 100 feet into the United States. Uh, so two million died or immigrated, most of them to the United States. And the report I read said that the population of Ireland has still, to this day, not recovered to its pre-famine numbers. The Irish, of course, did not have an easy time in America. Uh, people were very anti-Catholic in uh, the eastern part and northern part of the United States. There were signs in the laws, or signs in windows saying, help wanted, Irish need not apply, Irish keep off the grass in the parks, uh, very much persecuted against, and it was very difficult for them. And one of the main ways they got out of all of this was becoming civil servants. They would join police departments, and they became firemen, and became respectable over time in that line of work and finally getting into politics as they got more and more numbers and uh, even ended up with uh, an Irish president in, in Jack Kennedy. And so the Irish flourished in uh, the United States. Now, Ireland had always celebrated St. Patrick's Day in Ireland, but it was a religious festival. But in America, they kind of painted over that traditional green with uh, thick coats of red, white, and blue. And so they started having parades, and they started having celebrations and lots of alcohol use. And they found 
that the Lent, it's always during the Lent that this happens, and that the Lenten restrictions about eating and drinking alcohol were, were lifted for the day, and so that became quite a popular day for people to uh, imbibe in uh, Irish whiskey and I guess we have green beer now. And so they started having these celebrations, they started having the parades. Well, this went on for, and it, for several years, and then back in Ireland, this religious celebration, a religious festival, became more like the Americans. So they started having parades, and they started uh, having programs and speakers and lots of drinking and this sort of thing. And so it seemed like this celebration of St. Patrick's Day, instead of coming from Ireland to the United States, this Irish celebration came from the United States to Ireland. And uh, I, there's a few things here. I thought I would share with you, uh, St. Patrick's Day is the third heaviest drinking day in America, but drinking was never part of the original holiday in Ireland. In fact, it was Irish immigrants to the United States that first incorporated revelry into the proceedings, celebrating their Irish culture together despite being so far from home. The first St. Patrick's Day parade was done by early immigrants and other in Boston and other U.S. Uh, cities followed. So, so Ireland then followed suit with the other countries, America and the other countries that uh, were celebrating St. Patrick's Day by uh, having all this drinking. Wearing the green became a thing in America uh, for this parade, and the green comes from the Irish flag. It also comes from the shamrock. But the Irish had these little people called leprechauns in their stories, and there was a legend that if you uh, wore green, the leprechauns could not see you. And so uh, if you wore green, you wouldn't get pinched by the leprechauns. We're not wearing greens, then you would get pinched. And I know this was always a big thing up at school with the kids. And St. Patrick's Day, they come in, and anybody not wearing greens, green would be getting pinched by the other kids, and uh, somebody would be crying. And uh, <laughs> it was just one of those uh, crazy things where you say, oh, it was just didn't happen on the weekday. It was from the, the story of the leprechauns is where this pinching came from. In St. Patrick's Day, we talk about uh, corned beef and cabbage. Well, the Irish didn't have a lot of beef to eat in Ireland, and so the traditional meal would be Irish bacon and cabbage. But when they came to the United States, uh, corned beef was one of the easiest and cheapest meats for people to get their hands on, and so iron, Irish bacon was substituted for with the corned beef among Irish Americans, and that's why we have that uh, to this day. If you're thinking about St. Patrick's Day, go for it. I, we have lots of places we'll serve you green beer and they have celebration. I know we have a big Irish fest in Waterloo every year, so there's a lot of Irish around here. And I'm a little Irish on my mother's side, not much, I don't think, but uh, some. And uh, so I think Emmitsburg in Iowa has a, a, a large Irish population, or at least they did. So the fact that they have a lot of uh, Irish goings on up in there. It's a, oh, I guess you call it the North Central or no, probably more the Northwest Iowa, but uh, a nice town and uh, they have a lot of Irish things going on uh, around the time of St. Patrick's Day. So good luck with your St. Patrick's Day and uh, stay sober. Okay, our uh, guest tonight is Kevin West, a prominent Jessup citizen. Uh, whether he would agree with that or not, I don't know. Uh, welcome, Mr. Kevin. Good evening. It's so nice to have you here, and it's nice that you volunteered to come in without too much prodding and <laughs> arm twisting and this sort of thing. We really appreciate you coming down here. You want to maybe start out by just telling you, know, how did you end up 
in Jessup? Like the stork was on his way to Quaskerton and got tired, or how did you end up in Jessup? Not quite like that. Yeah. Well, I grew up on a farm south and east of Jessup here. Uh, went to school in Jessup and mm-hmm. graduated with a class of 79. Oh, wow. And uh, so never really left. Yeah, okay. And then how about employment after high school? What did you do after high school? Immediately right out of high school, I worked for a gentleman down in Brandon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a lot of construction, uh, farm related construction work from electrical to actually building buildings, uh-huh. barns and machine sheds and hog facilities. So, mm-hmm. so that's where I got a lot of my experience at. Yeah. And uh, from there, I went on to Care Center in Independence, worked there for a few years in maintenance, and then the job at Jessup School here opened up mm-hmm. and uh, been there ever since. And how long has that been? Uh, I started in 03. Okay. So, so, and what is your position then? What is your official title? And my official title is facilities director. Facilities director. So that's the whole shebang, right? Uh, just about. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and about how many people work for you then? Uh, r- roughly nine people mm-hmm. have. Um, so custodians, I have one other maintenance guy that helps me as mm-hmm. well. And, and so, yeah. Um, so it includes grounds and stuff yeah. like that, too. So. And it's, it's, there's a lot of grounds. Yes, there is. I mean, there's a big A lot area. of mowing. There's and a lot of snow removal. So. Those buildings get bigger every year, seems like. Uh. They are, and we're adding on, so that's <laughs> it. I'm going to grow. <laughs> Maybe you'll get five more employees yeah. then, huh? Well, I don't know about that. Yeah. But. You should put that in. So, And you want to tell us about your family then, too? Sure. Um, my wife, uh, Becky, uh, we've been married uh, soon to be 42 years oh, in wow. April. Yeah. Uh, we have two children, uh, Chris and Amanda. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris uh, just lives up north of between here and Fairbank. Um, married to Jody, and we have two grandsons, uh, Eli and Wyatt. Mm-hmm. And then our daughter Amanda lives in Waterloo. Okay, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's enough, I think. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to tell you go home and have more children right away. Just whatever you got. I mean, that's fine. Okay, I think I first really got to know you, serving with you on the Farmer's State Committee more than anything else. Uh, I, I said I wanted to go back a minute because I wanted to tell you, when I was in school in Hazleton, we had one building, K-12, and there were like 20 kids in a class. It was a very small school. And we had one custodian named was Ted. And he was a scary guy that lived down in the furnace room. And if you ever got sent down there by your teacher, go get Ted to sweep this up or whatever. It was a scary situation. And there were always two or three other male teachers down there smoking. You were supposed to see him and this sort of thing. Right, and right. Ted always had a ring of keys with 400 keys on it that jangled on the side. Do you have one of those? Or? Yes, I do. Okay. I inherited it from Rosie Dempsey, if uh-huh. you remember her. Oh, sure. I see her um, every, every month. Uh I have downsized a little bit, but it's still pretty good size uh, key ring. So, okay. I uh, got a key to bought everything. Yeah. And uh, uh, the question that's always on every little kid's mind, how do you know which key goes in which lock? You just, you know, when you use them day in and day out, you know where they're at on your ring. I have them in groups, mm-hmm. uh, kind of so they're fitted to different things. Yeah. And so I kind of know where they're at and uh, go so from there. just go from there. Yeah. That should be the test for people in your job is to you know, find the key. That's right. That's well right. You memorize that. So, <laughs> okay. I'm glad I remember to go back and ask that because I've always wondered about that. And you uh, talk with kids about school, and they remember, you know, the guy with the, all the oh, keys. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. It's just yep. really they something. They do. Okay. Uh, I know you've done a lot for Farmer's Day. You, you, uh, you and Doug work in the beer tent and this sort of thing and, and a lot of ideas and meetings and everything. But the two things that I guess is one thing two times that uh, – 
really impressed me was your work you did when we had the 9-11 mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. people here. And you want to tell me, like, everything, not everything you did, but how, how did that <laughs> come about? Well, I guess I, I learned that, the, you know, uh, that possibly the 9-11 trailer was coming. And um, with me being a fireman here in town, uh, I just kind of drew to it and okay. approached Alan one day and asked if he needed any help with it. And it just kind of spearheaded from there. And he's like, yeah, I'll take your help. And, and uh, first thing I know, I was uh, kind of the leader of the 9-11 committee mm -hmm. for that. Um, so yeah, it was, I won't lie. It was a lot of work. I'm uh, sure it was. Um, but it was well worth it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very it, well worth it. Tell about a couple of the things that people might remember if you see. Um, so yeah, it was all the way from, uh, we had the escort from, uh, the windmill over by Grundy Center mm -hmm. turn off. Um, I organized that with a lot of other, other fire departments across the Northeast Iowa, actually. And motorcycle clubs, uh, all the way from the highway patrol, we escorted the exhibit into town. Um, so that took quite a quite a feat in itself. Yeah. But um, so the guys got here. There were four gentlemen from New York City that were part of. They were firemen that day, and uh, they were here and told their stories and and brought back a lot of memories of that day. Yeah. Um, we had that in 2016 was the first time we had it. Mm -hmm. And uh, we and had them had, back in 2021 as well. Okay. I was thinking about the display you had in the Presbyterian. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that was only... I think that was a lot of work. I just, yeah. It was very so, impressive, though. Uh -huh. um, we set, uh, we made these kind of these, uh, I guess, I don't know, poster boards with all the names of the 343 that perished that day, along with... All the um, Port Authority police, the EMTs that were also there, mm -hmm. um, all the way to a canine unit that yeah. passed away that day as well. And we had them in the Presbyterian lawn, and we had uh, their names, their rank, their age, and uh, we had two little flags sticking out the top. Mm -hmm. And we all made all that stuff, kind of just put it together and... Yeah. and um, and you used that both times over here, right? We, we yeah. saved them from the first mm -hmm. time, and we used them the second time. And the firemen were really, really impressed with that when they got here. Um, they couldn't believe that we went to that much work to to honor their fallen firefighters. And yeah. They kind of drew to the fact that they went and tried to find, you know, their buddy, mm -hmm. more or less. And uh, it meant a lot. Yeah. Um, so a lot of them... Uh, that and then then during our parade we had the same replica of each one of those names, and we had our goal was to have 343 people walking with each name of yeah. a of a fallen. We didn't quite make it. We were a little short, but that's okay. We come pretty close. <laughs> and uh, those guys, the firemen, then took their took their names with them that they mm -hmm. wanted to, sure. their buddies. So no, that was very impressive in the parade that way. All those people. Yeah, it was. Those, uh, uh, very, uh, I guess, good to see people stood and was quiet and, yeah. and respected all mm -hmm. that. Of course, the firemen that were here, they also were in the parade as well. They were our grand marshals. And mm -hmm. So um, very emotional yeah. for a lot of people. Yeah.
like that group of firemen, they would be like I don't know, a role model, but someone, something that fire departments around the country maybe would adopt that group of people. Oh, absolutely, I mean, absolutely. Happen, so. And as it's turned out, uh, two of them, well, all of them actually, uh, we, we communicate, I mean, two or three times a year with Christmas cards mm-hmm. and little, you know, anniversary cards or yeah. birthday cards. Mm-hmm. And um, a couple of them I've gotten to go really, really well. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of it's kind of neat. Yeah. Uh, they've been, we've been to other 9-11 uh, exhibits when it's close to Iowa. Mm-hmm. And knowing that those guys, a couple of those guys were actually there as well. Yeah. And uh, we were in Story City uh, at the exhibit. And it was during their, one of their town celebrations. And uh, we started up the ramp to the trailer. And the, the one was given his presentation mm-hmm. there, like they do. He stopped in midstream. And he said, folks, I got to go give these two people a hug. Yeah. So that was kind of neat. Sure. So they remembered. Yeah. Well, I think that's what I guess two of the most moving farmers days. We had the Vietnam Wall one year. Yep, and and I helped with that. That was years ago, too. Yeah. But uh, those kind of things are very moving, and we got a lot of people come to Jessup to see those. Yeah. The the uh, first time we had a huge response. Yeah. Huge response from Mm -hmm. the public. Uh, We had up to five hour waiting line to get into the exhibit that Mm -hmm. that first time. Yeah. It wasn't quite that much the second time. Sure. Oh, it was still well attended. Oh, yeah. I thought it was well worth having them here. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Um, do you have anything in the back of your mind for some, like a repeat of something? Not, well, not everybody. Not 9-11, but something else you'd like to do sometime? Or? I, I guess not right off the top of my head, mm-hmm. Dale, but uh, I have people have asked me, are we going to bring them back for the 25th anniversary? Yeah. I don't know. That's yeah. probably maybe, I don't know, it would be nice, but mm-hmm. I don't know how well attended it would be. Yeah. That's so. Uh, because there I, is some cost associated with that yeah. as well. Because I've heard it's kind of self-serving, I guess, but that uh, this trailer's been other places where people have just been there, and they say the the presentation wasn't nearly as nice. That they that didn't seem like anybody went out of their way. Well, and when to really we, jazz it up for right, them or and whatever. when the first time the first time they were here, I got them off to the side, and they're like, "Well, how do you want us to do this?" And I said, "Well, personally, I'd like to hear." And I think I'm not the only one. I'd like to hear your personal story sure. of that day. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I can go through a trailer and look, and but it, it, I want to hear your your connection. Yeah. To that, mm-hmm. you know, and as one of as it turned out, one of them he lost his brother that day, and that's one of them, the ones that I've gotten to know real well. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, it's pretty pretty neat. Yeah, and and they they sponsor the is a Stephen Stiller, correct? Uh, was a fireman that lost his life. And, yes. Uh, they have a foundation for him, and they raise money to build homes for disabled veterans and this sort of thing. Yeah, and, as uh, it as nine eleven kind of ran its, mm-hmm. you know, it started out helping families from nine eleven victims, you know, and stuff, and so now that's kind of gotten through its cycle, and yeah. now they're and they've done real well, so now they've extended it to military, mm-hmm. uh, disabled veterans yeah. or disabled people, and now they've even helped. Police officers, maybe they have gotten killed in the line of duty. I think there was a couple of Des Moines police officers, or one that was killed. They wound up paying the mortgage mm-hmm. off for the family sure. and stuff yeah. like that. So, so and, it's, and what I've looked at is it's very, it's a charity. If you give them money, they're going to use it the right way. Right. It's you know, they, uh, they, they don't. Of it goes they are to, not pocketing yeah. it for themselves. Yeah. It's it's yeah. it strictly goes back to the yeah. foundation. Mm-hmm. A lot of it. So. Okay. All right. Well. 
So you helped with Farmer's Day a long time then, if you were back. Yeah, the first and, time was that Vietnam Memorial Wall. Mm-hmm. I helped with that when I come in and help set it up or yeah. help part of that. And I think we even, I think I even volunteered to man it a shift or something uh, one time. But uh, Yeah, because I was down there in the middle of the night. Uh, I did not really walk in a post, but just right, right. wanted just somebody there. Security. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't remember what year that was, but uh, I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> a long time ago. Yeah. But, uh, uh, and I have been to several of those in around the. I have as well. With, and it, it just seemed like, I don't know. Our, this it, one was a little different than yeah. the other ones that I've been yeah. to as well. Yeah, it wasn't the same wall because no. there's more than one traveling wall. But it just seemed like, I don't know, with where we had it and we had all those servicemen reserves or whatever they're doing the program and, and just uh, it was really done up right right, you know, right, a, lot right. Of, a lot of a lot of people helped with that yes and yes. Larry Thompson helped with that a lot he, and uh, uh, so it was just a fantastic thing to be involved with and uh, and then this fireman thing I didn't do as much with that but it just watching you get all those firemen organized <laughs> and how it seemed to be a thing for you firemen yeah, you know, I like, mean, it's kind of a brotherhood Yeah, that's what the word I was looking for before, is brotherhood. And, uh, uh, a tradition that just, we sure. you want to keep that alive, and yeah. you want to honor those that have fallen. And, and so, yeah, it's kind of, I don't know if it's bred into us, but yeah. uh, it's drilled into us, I yeah. guess. Okay. Well, that kind of leads me to my next little part I wanted to talk about, is that the firemen have been having the, the pancake breakfast. Mm-hmm. And so I was in there, and they have a flag on the wall, and it says, you cannot train too hard for a job that can kill you. Absolutely. And so uh, it kind of reminded me, like we had a thing, uh, the more you sweat in training, the less you bleed later on. And it's the same kind of a thing. And so again, what I, like, I know we have a fire department, I know it's a volunteer department, but I don't know much else about it. So you want to just give us a run, like maybe the specialized equipment you have and how many people you have and how do you get people in the fire department and then how do you train them since they're all volunteers? And okay. So, so, yeah, we have, uh, like you say, we're strictly volunteer. Uh, right now, I think we have a roster of about 26 guys. Mm-hmm. Um, none of us are really paid for our services. Sure. It's strictly all volunteer. Um, so we basically recruit by word of mouth, more or less. Um, we have some, a couple of requirements that you have to be a minimum of 18 years of age. You have to have... A high school diploma or equivalent of, mm-hmm. and you can't be any older than 60 when you join. <laughs> yeah, you can still be on when you're yeah. older than that, but okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, and uh, we drill uh, two times a month the second and fourth Thursday of every month. Mm-hmm. Um, we have and what state- would a drill consist of. Well, it's just training, just training on different scenarios, uh, okay. using different pieces of equipment. Uh, might be uh, getting up on a roof, or it might be tying knots. It may be just going over scenarios and what if this and what if that. Sure. And okay. So and do a lot of SCBA training, which is a tank that you put on your back that you breathe air out of. Uh-huh. So when you're in the fire. Um, we do a lot of that search and rescue of type things, um, basically blind, blindfold you. Yeah. And that's what it's like in a fire. Mm-hmm. I tell people that all the time. They're like, how do you see? You don't. <laughs> it's like close your eyes yeah. and go into somebody else's house and mm-hmm. try to find something. You know, yeah. it's like finding a needle in a haystack. So, so we do a lot of that repetitious. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and we got a lot of equipment. Uh, and it takes a lot of equipment and specialized equipment all the way from, you know, we do, you know, water rescue stuff to grain bed rescue to confined space, uh, hazardous materials. Uh, you know, we don't fight just fires. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually fighting fires is probably a small portion of what we actually do yeah well i would i would think because Um, back in the day we used to have a lot more yeah um now if you know we used to have a couple house fires a year and now we hardly ever have i was going to ask you that because i was trying to think okay how many houses have burned down in the 50 years i've lived in (laughs) jessup and i can think of one in town and one out in the country but and there may have been more, I'm probably sure. But I would say, you know, it's not something that happens. Right, right. You wonder why you buy a fire insurance. <laughs> 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 but uh, uh, so well, I know it, there's not a lot of house fires, but the, the trucks go a lot. You know, like certain times of year, like they have the fuel fires. Right. Seem like, or, so, yeah, if it's a, in the right time of year, if it's a fall and it's a dry year and all the vegetation is dry, mm-hmm. uh, all it takes is uh, a spark or... Anymore with these combines, uh, they're running stuff through so quick and things heat up. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had it where there's really, really no spark or anything. It's just friction yeah. from corn that maybe they're not cleaning the head out quite good enough mm-hmm. or something. And first thing you know, you got a fire and yeah. 40 mile an hour winds and, and it's it's going. Yeah, um, You can't go fast enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so... We do, like I say, we do a lot of specialized stuff and community events. We're trying to do more of that with the pancake breakfast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got another one coming up. Uh, I heard that, yeah. So March 26th. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're listening and want to come to that, it's just more than pancakes. <laughs> it's uh, We call it a pancake breakfast, yeah. but it's uh, sausage and eggs mm-hmm. and, and uh, bacon. So. Yeah. Uh, Everybody tells me it's good. Well, I've been the last two. I thought it was very good, and I'm ready to go again. So, okay. Uh, well, this will be the last one for this year. Okay. So, and then we're working on trying to get our wing feeds started back up mm-hmm. again as well. So, yeah. price of chicken's gone down, and availability is better. So Okay. And these are just like fundraisers or for fundraisers a, for a, a different project or just in general? Well, or? the last several we've done is, uh, mm-hmm. we're, well, we're getting a new uh New piece of equipment, a, a rescue truck. Okay. Um, and I'm sorry, how is that different than a regular truck? Or? Well, it has no water on it. Oh, okay. It has no pump on it. Mm-hmm. It's strictly a tool hauler, if you will, oh, okay. and people hauler. Yeah. Um, so we're, that's actually being in process right now, being built up in Appleton, Wisconsin. Okay. At Pierce Manufacturing, and that's where our last pumper come from. Okay. At, and uh, so it's going to be able to haul more guys safely. Mm-hmm. Um, no more hanging on the back or anything. Well, right. <laughs> so they'll be able to sit in the seat yeah. and actually put that SCBA on mm-hmm. to the fire. Oh, so they're ready to go. Then. So they're ready okay. to go when they step out the door. Yeah. And uh, so we're kind of working on that. So one of the projects we kind of been working on is a new set of jaws. Mm-hmm. Um, the last set we had was all hydraulic with a gas engine that powers it. Just like the jaws of life that tears right, cars open. Right, yeah. So now they're all, all you can still get hydraulic, uh-huh. but... These are battery, oh, okay. a lot more portable, a lot more. So if it, somebody's clear down out in the ditch, maybe yeah. our hose won't quite reach. Mm-hmm. So this will be a lot easier to okay. get at that. And, and I know that, do you want, 
the fire department used to come every year up to school to education Absolutely. kind of thing to talk with kids. Do you still do that? Or? We still do that. Um, we like to think that that's maybe why we're not having so many fires. But <laughs> well, it could very well be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, with buildings and materials and stuff, things have yeah. gotten better. But yeah, every year at fire prevention, we go up to school. And the last, well, we alternate uh, since now we have our new station in the room. Last year, we tried to alternate, and the kids actually come to the fire station. Oh, okay, that would be great. Yeah. Um, so they can see the station. They yeah. got a lot of questions about that yeah. and where we live and where we sleep yeah. and do we have a dog and those types of things. The but, last one I saw at school, they, uh, and I can't remember which, who it was, but they put on everything the hat, yep, the yep. mask, the, everything, and said, This is what you'll see. Don't be afraid. Yeah. This yeah. is what it'll look like. But, so uh, we go in the classroom. I get all emotional just thinking about looking at the fire. <laughs> but uh, about this is what you'll see. Don't be afraid. We're here to help you. Yeah. And don't so, hide under a mattress yeah, or hide uh -huh. in a closet. We're yeah. here to help you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, yeah, we start um, kind of pretty young at that. And. Um, sometimes we can go through the whole steps and sometimes we have to just back off sure. and just, you know, kind of ease into yeah. it. Yeah. A little, little, especially like the pre-K kids. Yeah. You don't want to make scared. them afraid of you. No, so we don't want to scare them right off the yeah. bat. Yeah. And we go up to second grade. Okay. And so, so we do that every year. Mm -hmm. So, um. And then you still do the, the drive around with well, fire prevention day or whatever? We, we don't give rides, <laughs> but we do do, uh, um, uh, whatever the we want to do it's practice a, your egress drills yeah your emergency plan drills so if yeah. you had a fire we're to meet and then we sound the siren usually and go around mm -hmm. and yeah you're supposed to I was your, it's it's so lights there it's with the daylight savings time <laughs> that you can't see you have to push lights around right, so. right right so i do the egress drill one time at home i got my three little kids okay now if there's a fire there's and they also cry are we gonna have a fire i say forget it no that was the last time we drilled yeah so yeah. Uh, but uh, but it doesn't hurt to, to talk about well, it yeah, as a family and, sure um, where you're going to meet. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, that's types of the things. most important so, thing. Because one of our first questions is when we pull up is, is everybody out of the yeah, house? That's sure. our first priority. Yeah. Is, and is, you don't want to go in there if there's nobody in there. Well, we will. I know, but you don't want changes, to, though. It changes our mindset. You want to be looking for a person that's over right. there by the clothesline right, person. Right. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I know uh, that would be a, a horrible thing, Yes, I think. Yes. And, uh, but I used to talk to kids at school. when I you know, Fire prevention, we could talk about fire prevention and about... Make sure you have a place to go that you go there. Everybody's going to go there, and that way you can count in. Right, uh, right. Nobody thinks there's somebody still in the house, and somebody right. gets killed we, needlessly. And so we we preach to kids, you know, uh, don't go back in the house for your favorite yeah. dolly or favorite sure. Game Boy or yeah. whatever. Uh, if you have to break a window out, mom and dad aren't going to be mad. Yeah, get out. Yeah, just get out. And you see, last week now people going in fires to get a puppy or uh -huh, uh -huh. not a goldfish probably, but a puppy or a cat. You, what do you think about that? Uh, they shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> I, I, guess I that's know what I think. I mean, puppies are nice and you love them, but I'm not sure they're worth some, wasting somebody's some life to some go in and get them. Some of their pets are like family to some of the I some see, people. I understand, and, that. and it's it's tough. Yeah. It's really and do you have a respirator for pets in your? Department? We actually do. Do you we really? Do. Okay. Yeah, I've got two they... different one for larger. Uh -huh. animal and then one for a smaller sure so you're there for them yeah you? we've got it all we've got it all that's <laughs> okay. why we need a bigger rescue yeah <laughs> how are you uh, you say like 28 or so is that enough for you're looking for more or oh uh, we always could use more uh-huh um because everybody else has full-time jobs yeah well i was going to ask that too is it so um on any given day or during the day is probably our roughest time yeah 
I shouldn't say rough, but it's sometimes it gets kind of we get kind of short, sure, handed. Um, but you know we do the best we can, and mm-hmm. if we have to call another department to help yeah. us, that's that's what we do. And there's a lot of cooperation with fire departments. Absolutely, noticed, absolutely, so. yeah. Wow. So and like for them, we go and help them. Yeah. Especially on those windy days that we were talking about, oh, yeah. uh-huh. and the fires going across the field about as fast as you could drive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, we need a lot of help, and okay. we need water, and yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Well, anything else you'd like to add? I think you've done a nice job explaining how things work. Well, I hope so. I really appreciate you coming <laughs> in here today. Not a problem. So maybe you'll come back and tell, when you do something extra special, you can come in and tell me about it. See? Okay. All right. Well, I don't know what that'll be. But. I don't either, but I'm sure it's going to happen. So, all right. Thanks, Kevin. You bet. Thank you. Yeah. NCAAs that are going on now. And uh, my first real involvement with them where uh, I actually cried. Well, not quite, but I was pretty sad. Uh, the 1969-70 Iowa Hawkeyes team uh, the coach was Ralph Miller, and I had heard him speak. He spoke at, when I graduated in 65, we had an athletic banquet at Owine, and uh, there were no, we had no girls sports at that time at Owine, so it was all men or boys and men at this banquet, and he was the speaker. And he talked about how we should all go out and marry very tall women and send them to play basketball for him at, at Iowa City. And so I don't know why that stuck in my mind. It's the one thing he said that I remember. But I was gone four years as in California and overseas, and so I didn't do much with local things. You don't get local papers out there, and they certainly didn't write about the Hawkeyes in the Los Angeles Tribune or whatever. So when I got back, I started college. I was a 22-year-old freshman at UNI, and uh, in the fall, they started broadcasting a lot of the Iowa basketball games. And they had uh, a group, you might remember this group if you're old enough, they were called the Six Pack, and it was John Johnson, Chad Calabria, Fred Brown, uh, Glenn the Stick, Vidnovic, Dick Jensen, and Ben uh, McGilmer were the team. And that year they averaged 98.7 points a game. And this is back before they had the the three-point line. Uh, In Big Ten games, they averaged 102.9 points a game. So they were up and down the court. They could put the ball in the hoop. And uh, watched them all year, and I was just positive that they were the very best team in basketball and that we were going to go to the Final Four that year. And so they had to play uh, a first-round game against a school from Jacksonville, Florida, called Jacksonville, and they ended up losing that game 104-103 to on a very last half-second put-back or shot by this real tall guy. Uh, Jacksonville had a man named Ar- uh, Artis Gilmore, who uh, was seven foot two and uh, was taller by far than anybody we had. So to be that close to them was was quite an accomplishment. They went on to finish second that year in the nation, uh, losing in the final game. But uh, in those days, in the regionals, they had a the next night after you lost, they had a, like a third and fourth place game. And so Iowa played Notre Dame in that game, and uh, <laughs> they won one hundred and twenty one to one hundred six. And so they didn't, uh, they just kept on rolling. And so most of them were seniors. I think all of them were seniors except Freddie Brown that year. So their season record ended up being 20 and 5. But I remember watching that game in the lounge at Ryder Hall with a bunch of other guys. And that final basket went in and they lost. And I just, I just, 
the feeling inside of me, I'm practiced now because I'm a Hawkeye fan and a Cub fan, so I know pain and agony. But it was new to me in those days. But this feeling I had, I was just so positive that they were going to do so well, and for them to lose that game in the very last last part of a second, it really got me. And I remember I walked out of the room without talking to anybody, and I went and got my car keys, and I went and I, it was dark. I went in and drove around for 20 minutes or so just trying to let my head uh, calm down. And that's the first time in my life that I really was that upset about a sporting event that had nothing really to do with me. And I wasn't an alumni of their school or anything, but it was they had Iowa on their shirt, and I was a big Iowa guy. I remember bringing up my own kids in my – I have one son, and he's a Hawkeye fan and a Chicago Cubs fan. I put that agony on him. And we were visiting a relative when he was uh, uh, still in school, and we came out of there, and the, the guy had no interest in anything. And so my son, he said, how can you not how – can, how can you live and not have a team to root for, to, to be – you know, tied up with and everything. He just couldn't understand it. And so he uh, shares the misery uh, with me. But it's really the first time. So when you watch the NCAAs this year, the thing to do is not get too emotionally involved with, uh, with the whole thing because uh, teams that are supposed to win are going to lose, and it might be your team. And so uh, it goes on over across the country. Uh, a side note to all this is that during the year, Iowa played Purdue a couple times, and Purdue had a player named Rick Mount. And in one game against Iowa, which they had lost, but uh, which Purdue lost, but Rick Mount scored 61 points in that game. And uh, they went back years later and, and ran the tape and figured out where the three-point line would have been. And they figured if there had been a three-point line in 1970, he would have scored 74 points in that game with 13 uh three-pointers, and I think the record for a game in the Big Ten is 10, so he would have had that record. So he was just a fantastic player, and to watch him shoot, but I remember watching that game, too. I probably remember that more than any game, just a regular game, because it was just back and forth, and he could really put it in the bucket. So anyway, uh, if you're watching the NCAAs, try not to get too emotionally involved, and if you do, well, I understand. Okay, uh, we only have one thing. We're City News. Talk to Coley over there. And the next council meeting is on May the 20th. So if you're interested in seeing what goes on there or you have something you want to talk to the council about, why the next meeting is May the 20th at the City Hall. Uh, the Library News, uh, the Little Tot Storytime is meeting every Thursday at 1030. Uh, song, stories, and more. And the Spice Club, remember this month, is Chinese Five Spice. And we're still... Trying to figure out what that is. The Friends of the Jessup Public Library, uh, their next meeting is Thursday, March 23rd at 6 o'clock in the library. And the Friends is a nonprofit support organization that improves the services and resources of the library, promotes citizen involvement in the community, and hosts fundraising efforts to offer programs and resources for all ages. And so if you'd like to join the Friends, uh, membership forms are available at the library. Uh, the Monday movie is on March 27th at 1 o'clock, and it's called The Woman King, starring Viola Davis and Thuso Medeldu. And it's a historic epic. Uh, remember to support the library if you're a coffee drinker. They have the Velvet Coffee Company uh, Bookworm Blend Coffee available. And uh, they have water bottles, uh, JPL stickers, 
that are vinyl. Uh, all these kind of things are supporting the Friends of the Jessup Public Library. They also have a book sale going there all the time. There's a rack of books that you come in the door that uh, are there for you. And the Dolly Parton Imagination Library, uh, we've talked about that every time I've been on, I know. It's a free service for kids age zero to five that live in the Jessup School District. And they uh, get an age-appropriate book uh, sent to them every month from zero to age five. Uh, the Friends of the Library pay $2.10 for each book. That's $25 per child for one book per month for a whole year. And then Dolly Parton does the rest, including getting the books and delivering them to each child's home. If you'd like to donate to this amazing program, uh, just stop in and see them at the library. Uh, it's called Imagination Library. And uh, uh, wonderful program. I tell you, my kids in Michigan had this when they were zero to five and uh, really does uh, help with their reading. Uh, the Friends of the Jessup Public Library, I'm sorry, the sponsors of this Dolly Parton program are the Friends of the Jessup Public Library, Heartland Technology, Innovative Wealth Management, Jessup Paint and Auto Body, Jessup Chamber of Commerce, the Jessup Public Library Endowment Fund, and many uh, private donations uh, have been given. Okay. Uh, new bestsellers at the Jessup Public Library. Uh, some of these they had on last week, but they got a couple new ones. Never Never by Colleen Hoover. Uh, Stormwatch by C.J. Box. He's one of my favorite authors, and uh, he's got a new book out. So my name is already on the list. Uh, Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabriella Zevin. And Spare by uh, Prince Harry. Uh, there was an heir and a spare, and Harry was the spare. The Eight Rules of Love by Jay Shetty and Walk the Blue Line by James Patterson. And so, uh, do you ever figure out those eight rules of love there, Blake? Or? I think we ought to assign you to read that book and give a little report, don't you think? I'm good. <laughs> okay. The Steve Brown Arts Center is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that has a vision for artists, young and old, alike, to have the opportunity to better themselves while helping to build the skills of those around them. It will be offering community programming starting in Jessup, Iowa before expanding to neighboring communities. Programming will include a community speaker series that will showcase existing creatives who reside within the community, as well as a pop-up series that will spotlight and partner with local businesses to provide opportunities for community engagement. The long-range vision is to house a rural artist residency program, residency program for professional and emerging artists in all areas of the arts and the humanities. Artists will be offered accommodations and studio space in exchange for a contribution of labor and maintenance of the buildings and grounds. Through the 1990s and early 2000s, Jessup was world-renowned for its artists in residency program. The Steve Brown Art Center would like to help return to that illustrious time period. Artists sponsored by the Steve Brown Art Center will become involved with the communities they are residing in by providing programming and activity opportunities for community members, as well as collaborating with local school districts. It's important to us that our artist experience is influenced and developed in partnership with host communities. Our website is the stevebrownartcenter.org. On Facebook, we're at uh, Steve Brown Art Center, uh, colon, at SBAC Jessup. And Twitter is the Steve Brown Art Center, colon, at Steve Brown Art C1. If you'd like to donate to the Steve Brown Art Center or having an idea for an event, uh, go to stevebrownartcenter.org and follow the link. 
And so if you have news that you'd like on here or you'd like to sponsor us in some way, you can email us at jgillespiegolf at gmail.com and uh, they will, uh, he will get back to you. And so uh, uh, I'm Dale Reber. I'm here with Blake Tempest. Thank him and Kelly Seahoss at Cowork 591 Studios. And remember, Jim always says, each day is about little victories.